from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Wednesday night. We're live, we're national, and you're welcome to join the conversation. Give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. And the uh, discussion continues on President Trump. So President Trump was indicted, and there's a big debate over why was he indicted, right? The indictment says one thing. Now, news is coming out that Jack Smith, the special counsel that filed this indictment, uh, has admitted to making a false claim to the court in the Trump case. This is uh, being reported uh, by the Epic Times uh, as of today. And his team made this startling admission in its case against former President Trump, acknowledging in a new court filing that it failed to turn over all of the evidence. Look at that. Uh, They didn't give the evidence that they had to Trump's legal team, which is required by law, and they falsely claimed that they had given this over. This is sharing of discovery, and that's a no-no. On July 31st, in its classified documents case against the former president, they said they had incorrectly claimed during a July 18th hearing that they had provided all Mar-a-Lago surveillance footage to Trump's defense attorneys as required by law. But on January 27th, as part of preparation for the uh, superseding indictment coming later that day, they decided, they say they say they learned, and I'm talking about the Department of Justice now, learned that the footage had not been processed and uploaded to the platform established for the defense to view the subpoenaed footage. So they corrected the record and admitted that they had uh, withheld evidence initially. Now, this is uh, under what's called the Brady Rule. Obviously, prosecutors in a criminal trial have a constitutional duty to disclose all evidence to a defendant's legal team, including information that's favorable to the accused and could reduce a possible sentence. So nice job, special counsel um, Jack Smith. People who are saying that you're shady, you're this and you're that, and you're proving them right. Now, all of this is happening where or I should say while, Joe Biden is where? The president of the United States, Joe El Baboso Biden. He's hanging out at the beach, right? He's got a beautiful beach house in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and he's hanging out there. He's off duty, right? So Vice President Kamala Harris. Now, you know, we we can't talk about Kamala Harris without the official Kamala Harris song. So I'm going to take out, this is a special instrument known as a guida, right? A guida is like a gourd that's been hollowed out and dried and uh, play it with like a fork against these ridges that are, you know, notched into the side of it. It almost sounds like maracas, you know, kind of like this. That's the Kamala Harris song. Kamala Harris, how bad she is. Kamala, Kamala Harris. 
That's right. Que mala eres, the vice president of the United States. So she is, uh, right now she's in charge. And uh, she's all over Washington, you know, making her best effort to put her best foot forward as uh, Biden's out on vacation this week. So she can say, hey, look at me, look at me. I can do this job, too. And uh, she's doing all sorts of things. But mainly, it seems like she's getting into a a uh, a battle of wits with Ron DeSantis. And it looks like she's losing with the Florida governor. He's invited her. She made some comments saying that the Florida law uh, protecting uh, education uh, was actually promoting racism. And she said that it was glorifying racism, no, excuse me, slavery, and that it was teaching kids that slavery was a good thing. Now, in our review, and by our, I mean uh, the producers on this show and what they've sent to me and what I've seen, the only thing that they've actually said was that people who worked as slaves and learned a trade in their slaves took those trades, and once slavery was abolished, were able to go north because they had a skill set and went to the north and worked as laborers and earned their own living as free men. That is not any type of endorsement of slavery and saying that slavery benefited anyone. Uh, they benefited from their skill. They didn't benefit from being owned as property, which is horrible and gross and egregious, and I think everybody can agree to that. But yet Vice President Harris, she decided to um, mischaracterize that. And I think... I don't think it's a misunderstanding. I think it's done maliciously, right? I think it's done with the intention of misleading the public so that people can think that, you know, everybody in Florida is a racist starting with Ron DeSantis and that somehow uh, racism and being a Republican or a conservative are one and the same when it couldn't be further from the truth. And all we have to do is look at the nation's history to know that. But yet we're lied to so often whether it's on social media or on the news or wherever we turn. And that's why it's important to read books and to know our history. But I want to pause that topic for a minute to talk a little bit about what we're going to get into tonight. Because tonight we've got a lot going on, right? we got presidential candidate Larry Elder scheduled to be with us in just a couple of minutes. I'm looking forward to that. He's going to discuss his views on his opponent, former President Donald Trump. He's running against Trump as well as the other guys in that primary. And um, he's going to weigh in on this January 6th indictment that says that Trump's political speech uh, is somehow tantamount to a conspiracy to, um, whatever they said, um, uh, defraud the government by, I think the term they used was interfere in an official um, government act or whatever. This is silly. It really is silly because, I mean, not only did the votes get counted, the ceremony continued, Trump didn't send those people per se, and it, they're gonna, I believe they're going to have a very tough time proving that any of the things that they're alleging in that indictment are real. But we don't know, right? We don't know how that's going to end up. And we also don't know if, if it even matters if you have to prove it wrong, because if you have a judge that was already part of um, previous dealings with the January 6th commission and maybe predisposed to thinking that Trump is already guilty, then that may not work in his favor. So we're going to get uh, Larry Elder's opinions on that. And Larry Elder, if you don't know him, you're going to meet him. He's a terrific guy. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about later on about why one woman says that women, her colleagues, don't ask for pay raises enough. And that might be why they're not earning as much. 
It's an interesting topic. I don't know if I agree, disagree, or in between, but we're going to hear what she has to say. And then we're going to talk about China. Listen to this. And I mentioned this briefly uh, just yesterday. China is investing millions of dollars into the United States, into our kindergarten through 12th grade schools. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why on earth would China be investing millions of dollars into American public schools? Excellent question. We're going to get to that with my buddy Gordon Chang a little bit later. But first up, Larry Elder, as soon as we come back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And as promised, our guest is Larry Elder. You might have heard him on the radio. If you listen to the radio at the national level or in California, he came out of South Central. Uh, Larry Elder is great. I've listened to him on the radio a bunch of times. Uh, I've always been a fan. I love his nickname, El Dorado, El Derske. Larry Elder, welcome to the program, sir. (laughs) Rich, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Now, folks, Larry Elder is running for president in the United States uh, in the 2024 election. He's also the author of the book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. Larry Elder, uh, for those who may not know you, and if you guys don't know El Dorado, shame on you. But if you don't, Larry Elder, tell everybody, how did you become a black conservative lawyer, radio host coming out of South Central? Well, I think my conservatism came from my dad. My dad uh, was a lifelong Republican uh, born and raised in Athens, Georgia. He was thrown out of the house by his mom at the age of 13. A black boy, Jim Crow South at the beginning of the Great Depression. My dad, uh, when I was growing up, had two full-time jobs cleaning toilets, uh, ultimately went to night school to get his GED, and then night school after that to learn how to operate a small restaurant, which he started when he was in his late 40s. He ran that until his mid-80s, and by the time my dad retired, he owned the restaurant, the little property next door, and the home that is still in our family. Uh, and this lifelong Republican always told my brothers and me this. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. And he always said this, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. Larry, you cannot control the outcome, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you complain about what somebody did or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and ask yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he said this, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you respond to those bad things, you tell your mom and me if we raised a man. He would not tolerate any kind of excuses. And I uh, was raised in South Central L.A., and then I went to college in New England and then law school in the Midwest, worked for a big law firm, started a small company, went into television and radio in the mid-'80s, uh, and as you pointed out, uh, nationally syndicated for a number of years. Before I gave up everything, my column, my radio show, my TV show, to run for governor first of California, then to run for president, I was in about 300 markets. About a million and a half people heard me every day uh, for years. I did all that because I really do feel that the country is in trouble. Uh, I'm not flush. I'm not like Levesque or like Trump. I still got bills to pay. But I gave it all up 
uh, because I really feel that we're not talking enough about what I call the number one domestic problem in America, and that is the proliferation of kids in America who are raised without a father in the home. Seventy percent of black kids now enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. Fifty percent of Hispanic kids do. Twenty-five percent of white kids do, which was the same percentage as was the case with blacks back in 1965. In 65 is when Lyndon Johnson launched a so-called war on poverty. And Rich, since then, we've incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized mm-hmm. men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And we don't talk enough about it on our side. The other reason I'm running is because we have a disaster known as K-12 through education in urban America, where just to pick one city, Baltimore, 13 public high schools, I kid you not, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Yet the Democrats oppose school choice, even as the party elites, whether it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom, send their own kids to private schools. I think it's outrageous. And finally, I'm talking about the lie that America remains systemic. We know, we know at one time it was, but this lie is not only causing things like reparations and diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, debates over race-based preferences. It's getting people killed. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And that is a phenomenon of cops pulling back from their normal proactive policing so that in cities all around America in the last several years, there are thousands of people who are dead or have been victimized by violent crime who would not have suffered if the police had done their normal proactive policing. So if I can put those issues front and center, then I will feel whether I'm the nominee or not, I've done my job for my party, and more importantly, I've done my job for my country. And that's why I'm doing this. Wow. Only a radio guy could do that, right? <laughs> you laid out a lot. <laughs> nice you, job. You, you know the feeling. <laughs> you Man. know the feeling, bro. <laughs> it's like talking down the last 10 seconds when you hear the, the, the back time bit. Uh, you said a lot. You talked about fathers in the home. I think this is an incredibly important issue. You talked about education, an incredibly important issue. And you talked about policing. And, and what I found interesting about what you said was that people would not have gone through the problems. And again, the people we're talking about, when we see people getting robbed and these videos that are all over Instagram and everywhere else, they're not always robbing white people, right? So oftentimes they're robbing people who look like me or like you. And so well, you've well, got minorities right. that are suffering at the hand of crime that's out of control because police were pushed or hamstrung uh, by this defund the police movement, saying that policing was racist in and of itself. And because of racist policing, we now have less arrests, but we have more crime. And I think this is a big problem. And if you don't mind, let's start there since we're on it. And we're going to go into the other two because we're going to be together for another segment or so. Um, How are you putting that issue front and center? But what's the proposal? How do you see a, a solution to this? Well, the first thing is to stop demeaning the police. Uh, they're, they're demoralized in ways that uh, have never been the case. I know a lot of cops, uh, their manpower shortages, cops are resigning or they're transferring to other departments. Uh, and virtually every big city department is down hundreds of officers, whether it's New York, whether it's Chicago, for, whether it's for L.A., for all those reasons. Plus, who wants to become a cop? If you accuse the police of being systemically racist, if you're white, you're going to be called a racist. If you're black, you're going to be called an Uncle Tom or a sellout. And so uh, as a result, the police are simply not there. The manpower is not there. Uh, and the polls are showing that the majority of black people living in the inner city want the police manpower to remain the same or to be increased. These are the ones who are disproportionately hurt by this lie that the Democrats have been pushing, uh, calling for the 
for defund the police and falsely accusing the police of engaging in institutional racism. We know that there are racist cops, there are racist doctors, racist lawyers, but when something happens, we should deal with it on a case-by-case basis and not assume that the police in general are committing these kinds of uh, kinds of crime, because they're not. You know, we had this four months worth of protests in the streets in uh, starting in May of 2020. 35 people mm-hmm. killed, 2,000 police officers wounded, $2 billion worth of damage. Why? Because of an assumption that what the officer did to George Floyd had to do with George Floyd's race. Now, remember, the lead prosecutor was a black man. And in his opening statement, he took pains to say the police in general were not on trial. The Minneapolis PD was not on trial. This individual was on trial. And he never argued that what Derek Chauvin did had to do with George Floyd's race. And Derek Chauvin was never even charged with a hate crime. Yet four months worth of protests and all that damage because of a false assumption that what happened to George Floyd had to do with his race when there was zero evidence of it. And the prosecution never asserted such a thing. Right. And, and that doesn't um, slight uh, the fact that all that what happened to George Floyd was was bad. Right. Obviously, it was bad. Uh, but I, well, I agree with yeah, you. They, they course, took an angle not. that was it, different, <laughs> that it was about race. The, the, when the, it verdict, the verdict, yeah, the verdict, the verdict was just. But but there's no evidence that what happened to him was about race. And I assure you, the people in the streets were there because they assumed that what happened to George Floyd had to do with his race. Similarly, that uh, uh, retired Marine named Daniel Penny, who put the choke on uh, sure. Jordan Neely. There is zero evidence that whatever motivated Daniel Penny, however you feel about that, had to do with Jordan Neely's race. As if if Jordan Neely were white, the, the Marine wouldn't have done what he did. Yet here we are making an assumption when there's no evidence of it. And it's making things worse. Right. And, and the truth is, in the Daniel Neely uh, video, that's uh, um, Daniel Penny, rather, that is a, it's a black man holding another black man on the floor while he had him. That's they, right. Everybody was holding him down. The guy was just out of control. Uh, outstanding analysis, Larry Elder. We're going to come right back. Folks, if you want to um, have a crack at presidential candidate Larry Elder, author of the book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation, give us a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, straight ahead, I want to get into the issue of why why you've kind of carried this mantle of fatherless homes. Uh, I think that's an incredibly important issue, and I know it is one to me, but I, I want to get your perspective on that because I think it's not every day you talk to a presidential candidate. We've had a number of them on the program. However, um, I got to say, nobody's talked about dads, education, and policing as their top three priorities, and I think those are things that affect every single American that's listening to this program, no matter where you live. Fathers in the home, public education, and police in your community. You can't get away from that. Folks, we're coming right back with Larry Elder, 2024 presidential candidate and author of As California Goes, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Larry Elder is our guest, the 2024 presidential candidate, author of the book, As California Goes, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. Larry Elder, we uh, left off with um, your, uh, at least the three that we're picking out to talk about today from your platform for president, fathers in the home, education and policing. We talked about policing. Um, Let's get into fathers in the home, because I think this is a, a... such an incredibly important issue that uh, gets zero attention or close to it. Larry Elder. Well, well, that's right. Uh, Before I forget, though, Rich, I want to mention that I'm trying to get on that debate stage next uh, this month in uh, in Milwaukee. The debate is on August 23rd. By August 21, I have to have 40,000 individual donations. The money does not, it's not important. It's that I need 40,000 individuals to donate to my campaign. The donation, in fact, can be as little as $1. All you have to do is go to LarryElder.com and donate just $1 to get me on that debate stage in Milwaukee. Now, regarding Folks, fathers. Well, well before are, we get there, okay. let me just give them the website three more times. LarryElder.com. Okay. That's Larry the regular way. E-L-D-E-R.com. LarryElder.com. And... You need 40,000 people. There's about 5 million people in this audience. So I'm thinking we can help, right? Uh, just for the sake <laughs> of a good debate. I was just saying that during the, 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 um, the break with uh, our producer that, you know, we need a very robust primary debate because that's what this country is built on. So, folks, if you want to help Larry Elder, feel free to go to LarryElder.com and give a donation. If you can't afford one because of Bidenflation, then give a dollar. But if you can give more, <laughs> feel free. Larry Elder, go right ahead. Uh, and, and, and Rich, even if people want a different candidate, at the very least, I'm going to put front and center the issues you and I have been talking about, the epidemic of fatherlessness, which I'll get into in just a second, the lie that America remains systemically racist, and the crucial need uh, for school choice in urban America. There are a couple more, too. We need an amendment to the Constitution to fix spending to a certain percentage of the GDP. Otherwise, uh, under both parties, whether Republican or Democrat, government gets bigger and bigger and bigger because part of it is the so-called entitlements programs are on automatic pilot. Even Bill Clinton and Barack Obama referred to them as unsustainable. But nothing gets done because if you run promising you're, you're going to reform, say, Social Security, the other side's going to accuse you of not caring about the sick, the poor, the elderly. So nothing mm-hmm. gets done. The only way to really restrain spending is to put a law on the books that requires Congress to do so. Uh, and then there are these soft-on-crime George Soros DAs all over the country mm-hmm. that are wreaking re- habit on our streets. And I'm suggesting legislation to set up commissions uh, of retired judges, retired DAs, so states can hear complaints from citizens and get rid of them. And then we need an executive order so that vice presidents uh, and presidents and their families don't continue to graft and make money off, the, off their uh, ties, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Neil Bush, whether it's Jared Kushner, whether it's anybody. That's what I'm going to do when I become president, to sign an executive order to stop all this nonsense. But getting back to fatherlessness, mm-hmm. the stats are clear and rich. Even Barack Obama once quoted them. If you are raised without a dad, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. That's what's going on here. Uh, and these kids are angry. They're frustrated. Uh, they have no male uh, role model in their lives, whether it's a, a, a father or a grandfather or a member of the clergy or sometimes a coach or a teacher. They've got nothing, and they're really, really angry, and that's what's causing so many of our problems downstream, whether it's crime, whether it's dropouts, uh, whether it's the inability to get the kind of skills it takes to uh, get a job in our digital age 
It all stemmed from the family, and it's totally broken down, as I pointed out. Uh, Barack Obama was not raised with a dad. He wrote a book about it called Dreams of My Father about his mm-hmm. angst. Uh, Jesse Jackson's mom was a single, uh, was a single teenage mother who got pregnant, impregnated by the married man who lived next door. And Jesse Jackson was teased because in those days uh, in the South, South Carolina, where he was raised, it was rare to be raised without a father. Uh, Al Sharpton was, had a nice middle-class life until his father abandoned the family, and then down to the hood he went. Louis Farrakhan's uh, uh, mother was estranged from her husband, had a boyfriend, briefly took back up with the husband, got pregnant with Louis, and tried to abort him with a coat hanger. Now, I mention this because these are four prominent so-called black leaders in America, Rich, all of whom either had no relationship with their fathers or a poor one, yet they rarely talk about it. They talk about mm-hmm. racism, 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 when racism is no longer a major issue in America. It'll never be completely gone. There are always morons in this country. But the idea that some race is going to stop you from finishing high school, learning the skills it takes to start a business or to go into a company uh, or, or to grow is nonsense, as is demonstrated by my dad, who did so under much more horrific circumstances. Yeah, well, that's the truth. Uh, I'm sitting here. I, I'm uh, an American of Puerto Rican descent talking to uh, a black man from South Central who's running for president. So I think we've made uh, huge <laughs> strides right, when it comes to uh, racism in America. And of course, it's not gone by any means, and, and, and we hope that it will be. But right. it's kind of hard to eradicate You make an interesting point I want to also expand on. Uh, in mm-hmm. 1966, Martin Luther King gave an interview to British television. This is two years after the Civil Rights Act of 64 had been passed. And he said, you know, the changes in America, the progress in the last couple of years has surprised me why in about 40 years, MLK said, we could have a black president. Almost on cue, Barack Obama 2008. Do the math. And he didn't say in 40 years' time we'll have a, a black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and there have been several. He didn't say we're going to have black governors and black senators, and there have been several. Uh, he didn't say that there are going to be a black president of Harvard, and right now the, the president of Harvard is a black female. He didn't say that Congress is going to be roughly the same percentage of, of members. Uh, he didn't say they're going to be black billionaires on the Forbes 400 list. He said black president, meaning once America has elected a black president, my dream has been realized to the fullest extent that it is practical, which is that people are now evaluating you based on color, based on content of character rather than color of skin. And here we had a black president reelected, and many people in this country act like it never happened. America is the only majority white country that's ever elected a black person for president. We ought to be celebrating that instead of acting as if nothing has changed. Yeah, good point. Now, when we talk about um, the strides we've made of racism and, and fathers in the home, which you've pointed out very eloquently, how do you see the correlation or how does that pour into public education? Uh, well, uh, if you don't have a father in the home, you're far less likely to go to church, you're far less likely to be disciplined, you're far less likely to graduate from school. Uh, and again, all these problems are downstream. Uh, and regarding uh, school choice, we've got to have school choice in urban America. I mentioned the 13 public high schools in Baltimore, zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. There are 53 government schools in Chicago, Rich, zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. Nationwide, mm-hmm. there's something called the National Report Card. I'm not making this up. 85% of black eighth yeah. graders, these are 13-year-old kids, can neither read nor do math at grade level. Half can do basic reading, which means a substantial percentage of black kids in America are functionally illiterate. Yet the, the, the uh, Democratic Party is in bed with the teachers' union, which is one of their biggest funders, if not their biggest funder, and they adamantly oppose school choice. Even as teachers, if you look at the studies, who have school-age kids aren't putting their own kids in public schools. So the people that know the school is the best, the teachers, aren't putting their own kids in it. What does that tell you? 
Yeah, we're, we're in a bad spot, Larry Elder. Uh, I'm going to pause right here. I want to come back and, and get the rest of your response on the executive order you proposed, as well as your take on what's going on with the First Amendment discrepancies in the January 6th indictment from Special Counsel Jack Smith. So, folks, if you want to weigh in on this conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that, number one, President Trump did not believe that all these irregularities were true, and number two, that he did something to corruptly obstruct justice. And they can't prove that because everything he did was to get at the truth, filing lawsuits, asking for recounts, asking Vice President Pence, pause the the counting so you can go back to the states and re-audit. That is John uh, Lauro, President Trump's uh, attorney on this case. And he didn't stop there. He had one more thing to say. Listen to this. The bottom line is that they have 60 federal agents working on this, 60 lawyers, all kinds of government uh, personnel. And and we get this indictment and they want to go to trial in 90 days. Does that sound like justice to you? Does that sound like justice to you? Folks, our guest, Larry Elder, President Trump's opponent in the Republican primary, Uh, an attorney. He's uh, an author, former radio host, and again, candidate for president in the United States in this upcoming 2024 election. Larry Elder, how do you respond to that? Just one little little alteration, Rich. I I don't consider myself to be Trump's opponent. I consider myself to be Biden-Harris's opponent. Uh, I'm running to be president of the United States. I'm not running against anybody. I've not said anything negative about anybody. And I have a lot of admiration for President Trump. He did a great job I campaigned for him and with him in 2016 and in 2020, and will do so again in 2024 if he asks me. But as to your question, I have a, real, a couple of real simple points to make to show you how bogus this whole thing is. The uh, indictment is 45 pages. I read it uh, very, very thoroughly. And in that 45-page indictment, Rich, over and over again, Vice President Pence is praised by Jack Smith for resisting the pressure that Donald Trump put on him, both in meetings and publicly, uh, to not certify the election in certain states. Uh, He comes across by President Pence as almost like a superhero, according to Jack Smith. Well, just a few weeks ago, Vice President Pence is on CNN, and he says, Donald Trump and I will never see eye to eye, and I believe that Trump acted recklessly. However, I don't see anything that Donald Trump did that suggests to me that he committed a crime. Now, Jack Smith did not put that part in there. He praised uh, uh, Pence for resisting the pressure, but never mentioned that Pence, having resisted the pressure, does not believe the pressure was illegal. The second thing is this. Uh, Another John named John Eastman is the co-conspirator. He is a a lawyer of Donald Trump, a friend of mine. I've known him for years, former dean of a law school here in California called Chapman School of Law. He made a, a legal theory under the electoral 
Recount Act, the act that's been on the books since 1880 that governs how these elections are certified, been on the books for 140 years, he made the argument that the law allowed the vice president the power to refuse to accept electors in certain states. Well, in December of last year, Congress amended the law to, quote, clarify it, close quote, so that the vice president does not have that kind of power that Trump lawyers argued that it did. Well, if the legal theory is fallacious, if it's out of whole cloth, why do you need to change the law so that nobody makes the argument right. down the road unless the law was ambiguous enough that John Eastman was able to make that theory? 100%. And I, 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 I'm familiar with John Eastman, and he is, he's a brilliant jurist. Uh, so let's let's really? um, take it step by step here. So uh, it seems to me like and, and this is, again, um, a paraphrase of Mr. Loro's statements. And I agree that there seems to be an attempt to criminalize political speech. If this, in fact, becomes the case, saying, look, you know, the things that you said caused this to happen. And because your words, mm-hmm. your free speech in this political realm. Uh, cause these things to happen, we're going to put you in jail, right? Not give you a fine. They want to put him in jail. Uh, is right. that, in effect, not criminalizing the First Amendment of the Constitution? Well, with one proviso, uh, it's speech if you are a conservative. Because Hillary, <laughs> for four years, right. when President Trump was president, referred to him as illegitimate, said illegitimate the election president. was stolen. Jimmy, mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter claimed that the Russians put him there. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who took over from Nancy Pelosi, uh, made the same claim that Donald Trump was illegitimate. Kamala Harris called him illegitimate. Uh, and Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, testified under oath, Rich, that the Russians tried but failed to change a single vote tally in 2016. Yet two-thirds of Democrats, according to a major poll, believe the Russians changed vote tallies to elect Donald Trump. In other words, a greater percentage of of Democrats believe 2016 was, to use their favorite word, stolen, and we feel that way about 2020. Yet nobody accused Hillary Clinton or Jimmy Carter or many of the other people that refer to Donald Trump as illegitimate uh, as having anything other than a First Amendment right to, to complain uh, and, uh, and, to, and to then say that they thought the election was stolen. But now all of a sudden we say it, uh, and all of a sudden we're criminals. And in 2004, Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th uh, so-called Insurrection Committee, joined 30 other uh, House members, plus Senator Barbara Boxer, to decertify the election in Ohio, claiming without any evidence that the Debold voting machines had been manipulated. Once again, they challenged the electors. Nobody said anything. Uh, several electors were challenged in 2016 by Democrats. Nobody accused them of undermining our republic. Nobody said they ought to go to jail for making that kind of argument. It's so incredibly unfair. It's a double standard, Rich. It's a two-tier system of justice, and that's why so many of us are angry. Well put, Larry Elder. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, remind everybody how they can donate, what they've got to do, and when they should do it. They should do it right now. Go to my website, LarryElder.com, and you can donate as little as $1 and tell 40,000 of your friends to do so, too. Again, even if you want somebody else, if I can get up there and talk about the issue that Rich and I have been talking about tonight, I think the country will be well served, and that is why I'm doing this. Amen. Godspeed to you, Larry Elder. I wish you the best. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll definitely uh, have you back on when you have the time. And thanks for being generous with your time tonight. My pleasure, Rich. Anytime. You know where to find me. You got it. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. (laughs) 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Before we get into any calls or anything else, I wanted to, um, you know, we were talking about this indictment of uh, President, former President Trump on the charges of, you know, literally starting this riot and at the Capitol and trying to criminalize his speech. Because, again, he wasn't at the Capitol. He didn't walk into the Capitol. He didn't ask anybody to go to the Capitol. And quite, he's on the record saying, go home. You can go there peacefully. But when we got out of hand, he said, go home. We need peace. And yet um, this is the charge that's upon him. And he released a video message last night um, describing how our country's in a dark place. And, and I want you to listen to this. Country is in a very dark place right now. But even after everything the deep state has done to me, I will never give up on America. Mark my words, in 2024, we will win back the White House. We will make America great again. I have no doubt about it. They come at me from left. They come at me from right. The rhinos, the communists, the Marxists, the fascists. We will not only survive, we will be stronger than ever before. We're fighting a fight like nobody ever thought possible, and we're winning. We won in 2016. We had a rigged election in 2020, but got more votes than any sitting president. We're going to win like never before, and we're going to make America great again. I can truly say I believe better than ever before. Thank you for all of your support and for all of your prayers. That's President Trump on a video message he put out last night. And it's great to see the the unity that you see here. I mean, people that are running against him for president for the Republican nomination are making lots of sense, like getting these cases out of Washington, D.C. Ron DeSantis was on Fox News. Check this out. First of all, I want to learn from you what you think is at stake for the entire country with Trump being legally hunted. Well, one of the reasons I'm running for president, Harris, is to uh, reconstitutionalize the federal government and these agencies that have become weaponized, the FBI, the DOJ, against political opponents. That's a result of them not being held constitutionally accountable for many, many years. And so when I'm president, uh, we will bring accountability. We will end weaponization. And that regards to new leadership at the FBI, DOJ. We're going to take power out of D.C. Uh, we're going to return it to the American people. But one of the things I mentioned in that statement I think is important to point out, you know, the reality is uh, a Republican, a D.C. jury, would indict a ham sandwich and convict a ham sandwich if it was a Republican ham sandwich. I think uh, Americans need to be able to remove cases out of D.C. I think the juries are stacked. I think that they're going to want to convict people that they disagree with. Or at a minimum, you should be able to draw a jury pool from across the entire country. That is really uh, what's at stake in terms of do we have a single standard of justice uh, or do we have a track of justice where if you're connected to the swamp, you get off, whether it's Hunter Biden, whether it was the guy Durham tried to prosecute, uh, or are we going to live under a single rule of law? And I think we have to reestablish a single rule of law in this country. Are we going to continue to allow the politicians in Washington to come after Republicans and their free speech and not go after Democrats? People have to be fair. Speaking of fair, what's going on with China investing all this money in the U.S. public education system? We're going to find out next with Gordon Chang. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you live and national this evening. It is the Wednesday edition of the program. If you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, we're live, and you can call us now, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of headlines, uh, of course, I mentioned earlier, I want to repeat, I think it bears repeating, Special counsel Jack Smith's team has admitted to making false claims in court documents in the Trump case. Um, They did not share their discovery under the um, Brady rule. So there's that. And we'll talk about that more uh, later on in the show. Uh, Of course, our president, Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, as he's affectionately known on this program, he's on vacation. And Kamala Harris, a.k.a. Que Mala Eres, she is uh, doing her very best to strut her stuff in Washington as uh, she's playing president. And I don't know if it's working, but she's there. According to a recent poll that was out, uh, half of Democrats want anybody but Biden. So I guess that probably bodes well for her, right? She's part of that anybody but. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, there's been a significant investment in American schools, K through 12 schools to be exact. The interesting thing here is that the investment comes from China. And this is interesting. And this is a new report from a parents group that reveals that Beijing has been investing heavily in American schools. Uh, The report's titled Little Red Classrooms. So I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest, Gordon Chang. He's been on here before. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon Chang, welcome back, sir. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Always a pleasure. So lots to talk about. I mean, there's a lot going on with Russia and China and lots in in the world of foreign policy. But I wanted to start with this because... I think most people think that China's up to no good. They, you know, they recently hacked our U.S. military, and we'll get to that maybe in the next segment. But I wasn't aware of all of this investment in the K through 12 sector. I knew they were spending lots of money with Confucius Institutes and foreign exchange programs and bringing in Chinese students on visas. But I, I had not uh, been aware until I read this. Um, tell us what's going on. Uh, the Communist Party's United Front Work Department, and that's the part of the party that interacts with foreign groups, in other words, sub- tries to subvert foreign countries, um, has been <laughs> funding the Confucius Institutes, as we know about, and they're on college, university, and uh, college and university campuses. Um, but the, at the height of this, there were maybe about 120 Confucius Institutes. But there could be as many as 500 Confucius classrooms in secondary schools. Now, the Parents Defending Education, the group that you mentioned, has seen uh, evidence of um, Confucius classrooms in 134 school districts 
The higher number comes from other groups that have looked at this in the past. And this is just building upon work from the National Association of Scholars, which has looked at both Confucius Institutes and Confucius Classrooms. Wow. Now, I think a lot of parents that are listening to this program and they're unaware of what's going on. And, you know, what does a Confucius Institute look like in in a K through 12 environment? Well, the Confucius Institute on a college and university campus um, is basically language instruction, but it's also instruction um, on Chinese culture, and it propagates Chinese Communist Party narratives about China. Um, Basically, the same thing in a Confucius classroom in a secondary school, though not as intense, of course. Um, But any involvement of the Communist Party in our secondary schools is completely unacceptable. And so what we need to do is eliminate all of these Confucius classrooms, whether there are 134 of them or whether there are 500. It doesn't matter. Anything above zero is unacceptable. Yeah, without question. And again, it looks like this number is, um, you know, you're talking millions of dollars um, in, in recent years. So what in your estimation, I mean, I, of course, I understand there, um, we've talked about it before, and you've really uh, educated the audience on this, uh, in, in large part, the, the unrestricted warfare. And, and this seems to be yet another, another part of that. But what is it that, I guess, parents need to know and, and do in order to protect their children from this? Well, first of all, parents need to go to the school boards and demand the end of Confucius classrooms. Um, Now, uh, they probably have contracts with um, the Ministry of Education, which is really just a front, as I mentioned, for the Communist Party's United Front Work Department. But those should be canceled. Um, This is just unacceptable in the sense we couldn't have a Roosevelt or a Reagan Institute in a Chinese classroom. Um, so why are we allowing the Chinese to have them in ours? So parents should just demand that school boards cancel these arrangements um, with China. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100 percent. And folks, we're on with uh, Gordon Chang, who is um, a friend of the program and the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Catch him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. And Gordon, I, I want to delve into um, a, another topic that I think is uh, interesting, and it's the the hacking of our U.S. military systems. Um, Russia, I mean um, China, is constantly at this, and it it like it pops up as a blip in some news. Reuters puts a headline out, and then it kind of disappears, and we don't hear much of anything happening on the backside of it. So I want to get into that a little bit, but I want to remind everybody that they can um, give us a call and you can speak with them, and I want to pick up right after this this pause. So, folks, if you have a question for Gordon Chang, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, our guest, Gordon Chang. Check him out on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, he's an expert on all things foreign policy, and he specializes in Asia. And there's always something going on in Asia. Typically, China is the culprit. And in this uh, event, the, the United States is now hunting for Chinese malware hidden inside of our essential networks. And uh, again, it's hacking, more hacking, spying, more spying. Gordon Chang, tell us what's going on with this latest Chinese attack on the U.S. military's infrastructure. Yes, um, the Biden administration has been, um, over the last couple of days, um, talking to the press about uh, finding uh, malware. Um, and this is malware meant to turn off electricity and other essential social um, services, um, basically to paralyze the Pentagon's response to an attack by China in Asia against Taiwan, Japan, the Philippines, or whatever. Um, the thing that's interesting about this is that, of course, the Chinese have been doing this for decades now. So this is not news. What is news, I think, is the reporting that the Biden administration is having this internal disagreement where some people think that the Chinese are only interested in attacking military infrastructure and not attacking civilian networks. And that's ridiculous. Mm. The Chinese don't make this civilian military distinction. They're here to paralyze the United States. Right. And it just shows the Biden administration is completely out to lunch when it comes to China. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, of, should be of concern to absolutely everybody, right? I mean, uh, they're coming at us from the inside. Why do you think, now, I guess let me rephrase do you think we're more vulnerable than we sh than we should be? Um, are they exposing vulnerability, and are we taking the right approach? Well, I don't think that we're taking the right approach because we should be imposing costs on China for this. Um, now, we could turn off their lights, um, but I don't think that we should have a cyber response because we don't want to show them how good we are at least until the absence of, until there's a real war situation. But what we should be doing is trade or investment or something else. We should be cutting that off and telling China that uh, we're going to continue to impose costs until the Chinese stop hacking our infrastructure. So, um, it, and, and the Biden administration won't do that. Um, the Biden administration is just so determined to maintain lines of communication that they'll allow the Chinese to do anything. So the Chinese get away with everything. And so they just continue to assault our society because they know the Biden team won't do anything about it. Absolutely horrible. Now, Gordon Chang, we, we've, we've seen this happen before and where there's aggression from, from China or they, they take these steps and even Russia, quite frankly. And um, like even with this recent drone incident and, and I've constantly criticized the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself for, for being weak when it comes to standing up to foreign adversaries. But I feel like a broken record and I feel like th there's got to be more to it. We've seen all of these these um, allegations that are out there now with Hunter Biden and now whistleblowers saying, no, Joe Biden was absolutely involved. And I don't know if one has anything to do with the other. Um, it seems to me like they do. But ultimately, is this really just Biden being weak? Is it Biden uh, being compromised in your estimation? Uh, or is there more to it? Is there maybe leverage that we don't know about? Yeah, there's a couple things going on here. Um, it could be the money. 
It could be um, something more basic, which is the Chinese know a lot about Hunter Biden's very, very distressing activities. Hunter Biden went with his dad to China when his, you know, Joe Biden was vice president. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure the Ministry of State Security has all sorts of interesting footage and recordings. So it could be something as simple as blackmail. But we've also got to remember um, Robert Gates, who was the defense secretary in the administration of George W. Bush and yeah. during uh, the early Obama years. And Gates wrote in his memoir famously that Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every foreign policy and national security decision of the last four decades. So the Chinese didn't need to buy or blackmail Joe Biden. He was going to be wrong from the get-go. Right. He was that that one guy in the Situation Room that didn't want to kill uh, Osama bin Laden. That's right. Um, And that's one of those decisions that Gates was referring to. Um, But clearly, um, Biden has just been wrong. Um, And so, (laughs) excuse me, when it comes to China... He's been wrong on everything, which is the reason why our China policy is such a disaster right now. And the other thing, of course, is that there's no coincidence that the Russians invaded Ukraine during Biden's watch and during Obama's watch when Biden was in charge of foreign policy. But in the four years of Trump, um, things were quiet in Ukraine. And that's not a coincidence. Trump just scared the bejesus out of Vladimir Putin. So he didn't invade Ukraine while Trump was in the Oval. Um, But he thinks that uh, Biden was easy picking. So therefore, the invasion of Crimea in 2014 and, of course, the invasion of the rest of Ukraine last year. Yeah. And now that we're talking about Ukraine, uh, there was this uh, drone attack in Moscow overnight, injuring one and closing down an airport. Uh, Let's switch gears to that part of the world and... um, Tell me what you think is going on there. This war doesn't seem like it's going to end. It seems like it's unending in terms of our funding of it. Uh, Biden has been, again, in my opinion, weak and absentee on showing American leadership to say, all right, look, you guys have to sit down and we got to work this thing out. And um, it just seems like the bloodshed continues, Gordon. Well, the bloodshed will continue, um, but I don't think you can work things out with Vladimir Putin. Um, Like, she's just a militant and he is going to press the advantage just like we've seen with other militants. They they don't stop until they're stopped. What Biden should be doing is realizing that um, if we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, then there will be a forever war and it won't be just in Eastern Europe. The Chinese are going to invade some neighbor in East Asia. And that means it's going to be world war because you're going to have war in Europe. You're going to have war in Asia And right now, the Chinese and the Russians are effectively with these insurgencies, uh, which look like wars. They're setting North Africa afire. So you have Africa, Europe, Asia, wars at the same time. That's World War Three. And we're very close to that point, Rich. And I know the American people, um, you know, they obviously look at this with horror. um, But the point is, um, it's not what we think about this conflict. It's what the Chinese and the Russians think. And the Chinese think of the Ukraine war as a fight with the United States. It's a proxy war. And we better win it, because if we don't, we're going to be fighting a lot more wars around the world. Now, how do you see things changing with a different commander in chief? Obviously, uh, we've criticized Biden and his inability with uh, both foreign policy and and his inability to act. However, fast forward a couple of uh, months, a year, 
where we have a new, uh, potentially a new president. Um, with a new president, how do you see this situation changing? Depends who the new president is. If the new president is last name is Harris, you know, I just don't know what she's going to do. I mean, she doesn't have a foreign policy track record. Um, if the last if the last name is Trump, things are going to be a, lit, a little bit different. But, you know, the problem is that Trump had four glorious foreign policy years. But that was a period where things were generally peaceful. Right now, we are at perhaps the most dangerous point in history, even more dangerous than the Cuban Missile Crisis of 62 and the Checkpoint Charlie Crisis of the year before. So I don't know if any president can rescue this situation because things have gone really, really bad. Um, and I hope that you know there is a new president because Biden has this record of unrelenting failure. And this is catastrophic failure, whether we're talking Afghanistan, Ukraine, Middle East, Cuba, you name it. This is one president who has overseen the collapse of American foreign policy. So, Gordon Chang, um, if if you had to give one piece of advice to President Biden uh, to, to help him in foreign policy and, and bring peace to the world and stability to these regions, what would it be? Um, call Mar-a-Lago and at least get some <laughs> advice from someone who's been successful. <laughs> well put. Uh, Gordon, let everybody know how they can um, track you down and keep up to speed with all the great work you're doing. I archive all my articles for free. I'm not into monetizing this stuff, so you can get it at my website, www.gordonchang.com, and I tweet this stuff out all the time, at Gordon G. Chang. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you. Of course, my, I send my best to your lovely little wife, Lydia. Hope to see you guys soon, and I appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, I appreciate it, Rich, and Lydia says hello to you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Hope to do it again soon. Thank you. Gordon Chang, everybody. Follow him at Gordon G. Chang. And straight ahead, we're going to continue our discussion. We're going to talk about why women aren't getting the raises that they're asking for, or better put, why they aren't asking for these raises. Apparently, there's some some information out there saying that women just don't ask for raises as much as men do. Um, so we'll find out more about that with Kellyanne Wingett. She's coming up next. And uh, your calls and more. Open Phone America at midnight. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. Welcome back. And we've been uh, throwing this topic around uh, this evening. And um, the headline is women who feel unhappy with their salaries are less likely than men to push for a raise, a pay raise. And that's according to a new survey. Uh, The survey found that more women think their pay doesn't fairly reflect the work they do. Still nearly half of men who felt the same still ask for a raise. But less than a third of women even asked for the raise. That's interesting. So this is a um, Cypher HR systems that did the survey. They surveyed 1,000 adults working full-time in the U.K. in June. 
and they found that over a third of men had requested that raise, but only 26% of women felt uh, confident doing the same. So I wanted to get into that, uh, into why, because I think it's an interesting topic, because this came, literally, I, I got this in my inbox the day that I got a text message. I was at, uh, I think I was at my favorite Colombian restaurant, and I got a text message from my daughter. Uh, she's 22 now. And she said, hey, guess what? And I said, what's up? And she said, I asked for a raise, and I got it. And I said, oh, that's amazing. So I'm really happy for her. And then 20 minutes later, I got um, an email with this information. And I said, oh, look at that. You know, so, you know, and I told her, I said, I just read a thing that said that many women don't even ask for a raise, and that's part of why they're not getting it. And, um, you know, she brought it back to a Bible verse and said, yep, it's kind of like the Bible verse, you have not because you ask not. And asking you shall receive. So uh, I want to get to the bottom of that with Kellyanne Winjet. She is a wealth strategist and she's the CEO of Alternative Wealth Partners. Kellyanne, welcome. Hi, thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's uh, dig into this. Um, what, what's your take on 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 why this isn't happening? Like, why are women not asking? Is it uh, they're shy, they're forgetting, they think they won't get it anyway? Like what's, the, what's the reasoning here? I mean, there's a couple things going on here. And as being a woman uh, who have had to encounter this multiple times in my career since the beginning of time, right. um, it, it goes back and forth between is it a confidence issue or is it a pay transparency issue? And I think that for a long time, it, it definitely had a lot to do with the confidence level that women had in their jobs. This also has a lot to do with women taking on more responsibilities, whether they, it was asked of them or not. And, uh, and then realizing, you know, maybe I should get paid for this, or maybe it's just an expectation. And so I think that if we open up the discussion on both sides of what is the expectation of the job and what is the pay for those, uh, those, that role as a, as an employee, so I think it goes back and forth, but confidence definitely has a lot to do with that. And your daughter just going and asking is really a good step forward because then she'll take that into the rest of her career. Yeah, and that was what I told her. I said, you know, use this as a stepping stone for the rest of your your deals. And, you know, don't be afraid mm-hmm. to ask, number one. And, and number two, ask for more than you want so you can negotiate a little bit, you know. And, uh, and she was like, oh, yeah. yeah. She, said, she felt like they said yes so quickly that she was like, I probably should have asked for more. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good rule of thumb that we learn. Uh, another thing I can just share with you, and maybe you've seen this in your experience as well, but when I, I had children four years apart, and when they were relatively young, like both under 10 years old, uh, I was very hands-on with them and, and helped as much as I could uh, around the house. But I worked a little later than uh, my then-wife did. And Mm-hmm. The the bottom line for me was I, I did rush home to see my kids because they were little and I knew they weren't going to be little forever. And I, I oftentimes missed out on a lot of the social activity where people do a lot of networking, like, you know, the happy hour, the, hey, I'll meet you at the bar on the corner. You know, I missed a lot of that. And I felt the guys that went to that, guys and girls that went to that, had a way better opportunity to get more opportunity within the organization. And, and I wonder, you know, if, if moms are playing a very active role, you know, I got to pick up the kids, I got to take them to practice, I got to do this and working this full-time job and kind of flying out the door at five or five thirty to, to go do the rest of their duties as a mom, like I was trying to get out of there as a dad. 
Uh, I wonder how much of that goes into that, where you just don't have that rapport and the, um, the, really the rapport to go and say, hey, listen, by the way, I think you know, I'm worth more. Yeah, you, you definitely don't have the same opportunities to get more familiar with your leadership if you're not participating in kind of like the outside yeah, opportunities the social aspect. from just, yeah, just from the outside, you know, nine to five. And I think that a lot of men are now kind of experiencing this because of COVID where everyone was sent home right. and then everybody was participating in like having to corral children all day who needed to be educated, but also they're at the house with you and not going to school to get educated. They're on the, on the laptops and the tablets and everything. And so there's taking turns between, you know, what, what was typically done when they're at school and then after school by either whoever, whichever parent was staying at home. But now you have these situations where both were doing it. And so then that's being sacrificed as like, okay, am I doing the bare minimum to stay productive? And do I have a right to ask for different types of benefits or more pay or whatever, because I am home. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of different things that are going on. So it's interesting to see the study. One, they did a really small group of people and also the UK and the United States is a completely different animal. Um, but it, it's interesting to see that kind of everyone feels that way. And there's definitely a shift in how women are starting to tackle this issue because, you know, it's kind of on the forefront of, everyone's mind is this, uh, you know, the wealth gap, the pay gap, these types of uh, struggles. And so women are kind of empowering themselves. Like there's definitely a big uptick in business coaches and employment coaches and recruiting coaches that teach women how to negotiate salaries and ask for raises. I think it could go further that, you know, the other side of the equation here, which are the corporations, uh, mostly you're going to see this in the public um, space and not so much the private who have smaller employment uh, forces. But in big corporate America, there's going to have to be transparency because you're just going to lose quality employees who will fall out of the pipeline because they don't feel comfortable asking for support. Yeah, well put. And I just want to remind our audience that we've got you with us. Folks, we're on with Kellyanne Winget, and she um, she's in private equity, and she is known as the Wealth Alpha. And I want to get more into that uh, when we return. So stick with us, folks. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Our guest is Kellyanne Winget. She is the CEO of Alternative Wealth Partners, and she's got a, a book, and the book is called The Wealth Alpha. Uh, Kellyanne, tell us about The Wealth Alpha. So The Wealth Alpha is a concept that is in investing. Alpha is the kind of the strategic edge that your investment strategy has that makes it better than everybody else. Everybody is looking to invest to achieve alpha in their portfolio. And, um, you know, my experience and me being a a female leader in private equity, 
is that with the different perspective, I believe that because I'm a woman, that is my alpha of my strategy because I can process things in a different way than a majority of what the industry is made up of. And uh, we've been able to do that by, you know, getting creative in our investment strategy. And the the book I wrote is, is uh, now the Wealth Alpha is a podcast that I host, but the mm-hmm. name of the book is a little controversial. Uh, and I don't know if I can say it on the radio necessarily. If you don't, um, no, don't. But, <laughs> but we'll point everybody yeah. to the website. Great. Yeah, you can you can look check it out on the website. But it's it's a book about not necessarily about what you should be investing in, but about getting out of your head, um, specifically for women, um, about getting out of your head is saying you can't do it or you don't know what you're doing, and and taking advantage of the information that's available to you because it, when it comes to like generational wealth and these type of opportunities that are um, available to ultra high net worth and um, uh, high net worth individuals that has been gatekept for uh, centuries. And so that information is available to everybody. And, uh, it just is a way to break down that information so that it's digestible and it doesn't feel so overwhelming so that you can get that little voice out of your head that says you can't do it, or you don't know how, or it's not for you. And Kellyanne, tell us how, um, how this whole thing happened. Did you wake up as a little girl one day and say, I want to get into private equity or you know, what was the path like for you? So um, both my parents were in financial services. So like money was not an uncomfortable topic for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a teenager, I wanted a really expensive pair of jeans. And my parents were like, go get a job. And yeah. so I did. And uh, I went down the road and I got a job at a car wash. And um, I was selling car washes at the car wash. At part-time in high school is making almost $60,000 a year in sales. Wow. So there's no, yeah, there should be no 16 year old making that kind of money part-time. And uh, so I just learned one, I found my love of money early on. And so uh, once I got out of school, I just wanted to know as much information about as many things as I possibly could. And I navigated my way through um, healthcare, uh, construction, um, and eventually ended up at an oil and gas firm. Uh, which I was going to do either way. I'm five generations in oil and gas, so it's just in my in our blood. And that was kind of my first taste of private equity, and it took off from there. For the next 10 years after that, I raised close to a billion dollars in private capital. And in 2020, I launched my own firm, which is Alternative Wealth Partners, to give investors a more boutique experience because I had been in the family office and institutional space. And I wanted to give that experience to just, I say, regular, everyday millionaires. But there's like 25 million millionaires in the United States and all of those people qualified to start generating wealth in assets that no one ever talks about. Usually you're only talking about stock bonds and maybe, you know, real estate is really cool, but real estate qualifies as an alternative investment and there's just not a lot of information. So I spent a lot of time educating investors about the different types of opportunities that exist outside of the public market. And if people want to learn more of how, you know, you can teach them your Wealth Alpha strategy, uh, where do they go? Um, if you want to know more about private equity, you can go and check out my firm. It's alternativewealthpartners.com. If you want to know more about, like, me and all the things that I do, including my book, uh, you can go to kellyannwinget.com. Folks, that's kellyannwinget.com. 
Kellyanne, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Very insightful conversation. Uh, I love the the title here of your concept, The Wealth Alpha. It's pretty cool. And yeah. um, hoping that we'll have you back soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Rich. You bet. Godspeed. All right. So where do we go from here? We go to the phones. It's Open Phone America coming up right after this. Uh, every topic. And I want to get into a little bit of what's going on in the economy. So don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right. So I'm looking at some of the uh, articles that um, our excellent production team sends to me every day. And man, there's, let me just listen to some of these headlines here. Uh, Here's some big news. The shooter of the synagogue in Pittsburgh has been sentenced to death. So we'll get to that a little bit later. And uh, there was another big story here. Where did it go? Oh, yeah. So the federal government is now calling for an increased production of ADHD drugs. There's been an Adderall shortage, and that turned into a Ritalin shortage because people started substituting Adderall for Ritalin. And, uh, again, we've talked about this before, but it seems it's not getting any better. Why are the feds doing this now? I'm glad they are, but they could have done this a year ago, you know, even more. So we'll talk about that straight ahead as well. Uh, plus, we're going to get to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Open Phone America, we'll, uh, we'll kick it off right now, honestly. Uh, but you can start getting your calls in now so that you're not left on hold. I know I left a few people last night. I tried to get to everybody as I could, uh, as quickly as I could, but just sometimes my best isn't good enough. But I do want to go to Wilmington, Delaware now and check in with Joe Biden's neighbor, Doc, on WDEL. Welcome, brother. Welcome, bro. Thank you for being on the air so much. I think that I got two things I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Widely disparate, totally disconnected, if you'll bear me in mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr., from what I'm seeing on the media, is gaining traction nationwide. I think that he could give Joe Biden run for his money. I'll give you something that was from this last summer of 2022 yeah. when uh, Jimbo was still alive. He said that in his opinion in 2024, neither Trump nor Biden will be the nominee of their parties. I couldn't agree with that more. I think they're going to both be cast aside for somebody else younger or somebody we haven't even heard from yet. Now, yeah. as far as the Pittsburgh shooting, I got to weigh in on that one. I think that sentence was totally justified, but I have to have a caveat. And I'm gonna. I don't want to appear to be anti-Semitic on your show. So they're calling, they're calling after me, saying I'm anti anti-Israel. I'm not. I don't know why eleven white Jewish Polish uh, synagogue goers are worth more uh, than the little black children up the road from you in Philadelphia, who are getting killed every year at gang violence. Okay. So well, far this year in Philadelphia, it's just because they're usually 30. not in mass shootings. 
Uh, you know, like people don't. The, the shootings in Philadelphia are like a drive-by. I tried to kill this drug dealer, trying to kill that drug dealer. And by accident, we hit a four-year-old. And they're, they're not happening all at once. It's, you know, it might be 15 in a weekend, but it's not 15 at once or 11 at once like it was in the synagogue. And I think that's the only difference, that it was literally a, a mass murder. Yes, these murderers, okay? These crimes are not being challenged in the city of Philadelphia by a guy that was put there by George Soros, by a governor put there in, in there by George Soros. I'm all for the death penalty for the synagogue shooting. It was a mass murder. It's totally justified. I'm equally for the death penalty for any of these young black babies. I'm not black. I'm obviously white by the diction of my voice. I'm all for the death penalty of any young black child or any child of any race who's killed in gang violence in Philadelphia or anywhere in the country. I'm with Give you. Give the death penalty. Put them away. Excellent point. That is a very good point. We should offer the death penalty for that. And why we don't, I don't know. Obviously, because we're downgrading every crime in, in so many of these urban areas where we have these woke prosecutors, and I like to call pro-crime progressives, um, because that's really what they do is embrace crime. Now, Doc, before I let you go, I want to know, what's your thought on the, um, on the Trump indictment? I think what it's going to do is strengthen him. Here's why. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. This is going to be borne out by your call starting your show. All it does with all it does to the anti-Trumpsters is enrage them, give them further ammunition that he shouldn't be president, or I think he's fully qualified to be president. Mm-hmm. Number number two, I think it's a witch hunt. Number three, I think that it will make him a martyr to the base and make him only stronger with the base in 2024. Yeah, good point. All good points. Doc in Wilmington, Delaware. Thank you, sir. W D E L. We will uh, continue with your uh, calls as we uh, proceed forward. I just want to give you a couple more of these headlines. I see people are calling in. We're going to get you uh, into the queue and on to the air momentarily. Um, 833-482-5337. Before I do that, I want to go to uh, one of these stories, though, quickly, because there's some crazy stuff going on here. Listen to this. A woman escaped a cinder block cage after she was kidnapped. This is a real story. This happened in Oregon, uh, and we're on the air in Oregon. FBI looks for more possible victims. Listen to this. Nagasi Zuberi, 29 years old, posed as an undercover police officer and kidnapped a woman in Seattle. That is crazy. We're going to get to that straight ahead, plus your calls. I mean, I can't believe that, you know, that she got away and that she's okay and she's safe. And wait till you see this guy's mugshot. This guy doesn't look like a cop, an undercover cop, or any other kind of cop. This guy looks like a homeless person. Unbelievable. He needs a haircut badly. Jeez. Anyway, I'm glad she's okay, and I hope they don't find any, uh, that this happened again to other people. If they did, I hope they find those people as well. Folks, we're coming right back. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now 
Here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. At our number three, uh, welcome to the program. If you want to join us on the phone, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. I see we've got calls from Montana and more coming in from across the nation. Getting to you momentarily, I have to bring you up to speed on something I should have mentioned at the 10 o'clock hour. I just couldn't cram it all in, and that the United States has received a downgrade. Uh, let me give you the headline from from uh, Fox Business here. The Biden administration is now blaming Trump and January 6th for the organization known as Fitch, um, AAA downgrading the United States. Um, this is not a good thing, right? This is not a good thing. And, and we'll get into the Biden blame game after this. But I want you to really understand the, um, the, the premise here, because this, this downgrade uh, of the United States credit rating from, from AAA to AA is um, it's a big deal in so much as we, um, we shouldn't be going through this stuff, right? Let me give you the story so you could uh, get a piece of it. But first, I want to give you Janet Yellen's reaction to this. Check it out. Overall annual inflation has declined every month for the past year, and our economy continues to grow. In the longer term, the United States remains the world's largest, most dynamic, and most innovative economy, with the strongest financial system in the world. Fitch's decision is puzzling in light of the economic strength we see in the United States. I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision, and I believe it is entirely unwarranted. Okay, and again, uh, Fitch has downgraded the U.S. credit rating um, because of unease about the country's debt position, the political polarization, according to Reuters, and the global standing of the U.S. dollar, according to investors and analysts. Wall Street's three major indexes ended lower today, Wednesday, uh, a day after Fitch uh, unexpectedly stripped the U.S. of its top credit rating. So again, we had that AAA rating in the United States, and we no longer have it. Fitch, the ratings agency, uh, said that they expect fiscal deterioration over the next three years and repeated debt ceiling disputes that threaten the government's ability to pay its bills in the future. Isn't that something? So we got, we got downgraded from, let's see, double triple A to double A plus. I don't know um, how serious that is, but it doesn't sound good, right? <laughs> it doesn't sound good at all. And the next time we have EJ Anthony or one of those uh, uh, Steve Moore types, um, definitely got to dig into that because, the American people have already soured on Joe Biden. They've already soured on his performance in the economy. And the economy is is such an integral part of everything that we do, right? It, it's, it's unthinkable to think that it, this, has, this isn't a top priority for this administration. How do you move forward? 
There are mom and pop shops, restaurants, and others shutting down because they can't make it because the economy's not flourishing like it did under, you know, the big bad wolf, Donald Trump. Everybody wants to say bad things about Trump, but everybody was doing better financially. People were getting big raises. People that were getting raises while Trump was president, many of them were getting not like a uh, 10% or 5% raise. Some people were getting tens of thousands of dollars in a raise because companies were in a stronger position. Companies were able and comfortable to take more risk because they were able to take more risk. That's the only way you, uh, you get into a position like that is when you have a thriving economy and people aren't afraid to spend. But here we are. And this isn't good. And uh, I, I, just, uh, I just find it amazing that no, nobody's ever sorry. Right? <laughs> Nobody ever gets on TV and says, oh, you're really sorry about this. We're going to work on it. We're going to make it better. You, you never hear that. And, and I wish we did, but we never hear that. Anyway, um, I want to um, circle back. I, that was just an aside. I really wanted to circle back to the story about this woman in Portland, Oregon. Because a man who posed as an undercover police officer kidnapped a woman in Seattle, Washington, drove her hundreds of miles to his home in Oregon and locked her in a makeshift cell, like a jail cell, in his garage before she managed to escape and flag down a passing motorist, according to the FBI, earlier today. Absolute crazy. I mean, this is the stuff you warn your family about. The man now faces a federal interstate kidnapping charge And according to authorities, they said that they're looking for additional victims after linking him to sexual assaults in at least three, excuse me, four more states. This guy's like a real rapist that hides you in his basement. Crazy. This woman was kidnapped, chained, sexually assaulted, and locked in a cinder block cell. That's according to Stephanie Shark. She's the assistant special agent in charge of the FBI's Portland field office. Police say she beat the door with her hands until they were bloody in order to break free. Her quick thinking and will to survive may have saved other women from a similar nightmare. After the woman escaped from his home in Klamath Falls, 29-year-old Nagasi Zuberi fled the southern Oregon city of roughly about 22,000 people but was arrested by state police in Reno, Nevada. The following afternoon, the FBI said. So uh, court records don't list any attorney who might be speaking on his behalf. So he's either got a public defender or he's just going it alone. According to uh, the FBI, the defendant, Zaberi, also went by the names Sakima, Justin Heish, and Justin Kusi. Kuasi, excuse me, K-O-U-A-S-S-I. He lived in multiple states since 2016 possibly including California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, Florida, New York, New Jersey, Alabama, and Nevada. Wow. This guy looks evil, very evil. Man. Not good news, but, I mean, good news that he's gotten caught, but bad news that this was going on, right? Absolute insanity. So um, taking calls on that because I'm really interested in that and your opinions on that and everything else we talked about tonight. Great interview with Larry Elder earlier tonight as well. Anyway, here's the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez, live here on America at Night, live national and to Ohio we go. Zanesville, Ohio, to be exact, W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, good evening, Rich. Good to talk to you tonight. Hey, Paul. Hey, likewise. You know, Rich, I wish I had a yes. Thank you. I wish I had a credit card that if I put two million dollars on it. Of course, the average citizen is not going to be able to get a two million dollar credit card. But if I had a two million dollar credit card and I couldn't make my payment, I wish the uh, the credit card company would say, you know what, I'll go ahead and extend that to three million for you. You know, we can just print more money. You know, uh, or maybe I could extend it to four million. But you can't pay your bills. You know, or maybe your grandchildren are going to have to pay your bills. You see where I'm getting what I'm getting at here, Rich? Oh yeah. I mean, how how long can how long can can Biden just keep this saying? Let's just print more money, print more money. You know, and we're not we're not able to pay it back. And how, how long do you think a credit card company would keep you as one of their clients if you called up and said that? You know, oh, I can't pay it this month, but. I'll pay it next month. You can be sure of that. And then you call next month and, well, I don't have it again, but could you extend my credit? You know, Biden is just getting us in a mess if he just keeps printing more money and more money and more money. And I'd like your comments on that. And then I have a thing to say about the uh, the the guy there that uh, kidnapped the girl. Oh, good. All right. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. And, and I think it's a great analogy. It's so important that we, we try to, like, normalize things because – the media is so good at teaching people talking points and, and, and both sides. Right. Uh, but you have to stop and say, well, which ones make sense? Right. And it, it is there isn't a credit card in my home. And I don't think there's one in yours that you can just say, hey, look, uh, I owe you this much. But we're just going to raise the amount that you're going to like. You can't just ask for that and, and get it every time raising your, your debt limit. And it makes all the sense in the world. And the other great example that I've always liked is the balancing of a checkbook, right? I mean, that's a mm-hmm. bottom line. If, if mm-hmm. I don't have enough money in my account, if the bank will pay a check that's out, they're going to charge you money, right? Is that they over, if you overdraw your account, you got to pay for it if they even pay it. So, I mean, it, it, that's every human being. You can't bounce a check, right? You have to balance your checkbook. If how is it that we have gotten into a place in our country where both sides of the aisle are refused to, to take the accountability to say, you know what, we haven't balanced our budget, the federal budget in something like eight years or whatever it is, 10 years. I don't know what it is. It's a ridiculously long amount of time, way too long. And uh, I agree with you hundred percent. We can't play these games. We, we need politicians. And when I say politicians, I mean all of them, right? The, the Senate, the house and the white house, whomever is in there. We have to really get this bull by the horn so that we realize we can't play this game 
where we just keep borrowing and keep borrowing and keep borrowing. That's not sustainable in real life. None of us can do it in our family lives. So uh, why do we do it when it comes to the government? That's an excellent question. And the the other yeah. point you had was on this guy who built a cinder block jail cell in his basement. Yes. Well, uh, and just to finish up that last comment, it's on the back of the American taxpayers to have to pay this, and I'm getting a little sick of it. But uh, of that's all I had to say about that one. Um, now, about that guy that, that did that, now, there was a case, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe more than that, I, I kind of forget, but he had like two or three girls trapped down his basement. He made like a jail cell down there mm-hmm. and kept those girls, and they escaped and things like that. But I think we're going to see more of that, Rich, with all this uh, human trafficking, you know, and this sex trafficking and things like that. I mean, Biden's got to put a stop to this. I mean, the man is doing nothing, you know, to, to prevent these types of things. I mean, look at our border. I mean, uh, look, you know, look at the, the money he's, he's, he's shooing out to uh, the, the Ukrainians. I mean, I, I feel for those people because Putin's nothing but a thug and a punk and a communist, and I hate him. But, um, you know, he, he's got to learn that, you know, um, he ha- it has to be United States first. And that's why I love uh, Donald Trump. You know, people hate the MAGA term. Some people do. But it stands for Make America Great Again. Do you not want to be great, America? I don't understand it. You know, do you like this deep swamp? Or, the, you know, the, I'm just tired of it, Rich. And I really like that Larry Elder guy. I talked yeah. to you about him maybe a couple months ago, and I thought he would be a good vice president. That dude's on point, and he is exactly on point when he says more Americans need fathers because my dad was a bad dude. He made me a good dude, and we need more of that in this country. And that's about all i got to say tonight, Rich, and I'd like your comment. Well, Paul, after, after your call tonight, I'm ready to make you vice president. I mean, I think you, you made some great points tonight, and, and you always do. But, yeah, I agree with you on Elder, and, and, and uh, Larry Elder's terrific. Um, I think America should be grateful that he, he gave up an amazing career in talk radio and writing columns in the Los Angeles Times to, um, to lend himself to our body politic, as Trump and others. I mean, I think a Trump-Elder ticket, just imagine what that would look like. You know, I think that's a powerhouse ticket. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. I think uh, it would be great. And I'd love to see him on the debate stage, if for nothing else, just to to have that national conversation enhanced by by those issues that he brought up. You know, fathers in the home, education, community policing. These are all, I think, incredibly important issues for every American. And I would love for that to be front and center uh, rather than hearing 16 guys talk about Ukraine and and Putin. And again, I'm with you. I think he's a murderous thug and I'm not a fan. Uh, but I, I think it, it's it's important to to fix our situation. And the way you fix it, I think what he's describing, that's the way you do it. You, you have a focus on keeping dads in the home, strengthening families, um, protecting your your education system uh, so that it doesn't fall by the wayside because of the woke mob. And of course, policing so that they're doing their job and that communities don't fall by the wayside because cops are absentee because they've got their hands tied and they've been hamstrung by the administration. So, I mean, I think it all makes a ton of sense and uh, excellent points. Excellent points. I thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. Um, Let us uh, continue. Let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Frank, now, Frank, tell me a little bit about... um, your thoughts on this guy who kept these 
the, this woman uh, captive in his basement in this jail cell he made out of cinder blocks. Well, it's happening all over the United States. There's even a trial up here in Kalispell uh, where they duct tape a woman and uh, was took her to death and uh, she escaped. Uh, she was naked when she escaped, but this was up in Whitefish. And, you know, it's just when the, it's just the crime is just everywhere. It's just uh, you can focus on it uh, anywhere you want, any any city. It's just it's it's anywhere in the world. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, now you, um, I know you had another comment. You wanted to talk about crickets and grasshoppers. Yeah, um, I was just looking into you know the fact that the majority of the world in like China, India. Eastern Africa and some of these other nations, they they eat these live grasshoppers, but it's oh got yeah, tapeworms. But there's tapeworms in those suckers, and it's just uh, they lay well, you know, Some people and, they call it the, the Mexican diet, right? People, some people go to Mexico just to get a tapeworm, so they can come back to the states and lose weight. <laughs> tapeworm diet, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. Um. One other thing. Yes. In 1997, it was in San Francisco, the head of the Church of Satan died. And then the church moved over to New York and Manhattan Island on the West End in in the Hell's Kitchen area close to Trump's Tower. Okay, yeah. And just that high priest is uh, called a MAGA, M-A-G-A. Just, mm. just, Ruth, have to throw that out there. You, you, you paint that any which way you want. Yeah, yeah, interesting. The MAGA is the high priest. All right, Frank in Evergreen, Montana, thank you for bringing us that tidbit, that pearl of wisdom. Definitely going to check it out and see what we can dig up on that. And, of course, the rest of your calls are welcome. 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coast-to-coast, we're live, we're national. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. 8334-Valdez, it's me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere and don't move a muscle. Trump's opponent. I consider myself to be Biden Harris's opponent. Uh, I'm running to be president okay. of the United States. I'm not running against anybody. I've not said anything negative about anybody. And I have a lot of admiration for President Trump. Thought he did a great job. I campaigned for him and with him in 2016 and in 2020, and will do so again in 2024 if he asks me. That is from our conversation with presidential candidate Larry Elder, who was on in the 10 o'clock hour of the program, 10 o'clock Eastern time, New York City time. And great conversation. Larry Elder is uh, terrific. And I said, you know, Trump's opponent. 
And he and he said he didn't consider himself Trump's opponent. Of course, he's competing against Trump for the Republican nomination. But I understood his position. He was saying, you know, he's not in this against Trump. Uh, he's, he's very pro-Trump, campaigned for Trump, with Trump. Uh, but he is uh, doing this really to bring the heat to Kamala and uh, Joe El Baboso Biden and his sidekick, uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president. So that's that. Also, another reminder, and I hate to to you know, do these self, uh, selfish, they're not selfish. It's really for the show, not for me per se, but the show has been nominated for a people's choice podcast award. And by very, um, definition, it's the people's choice. So (laughs) the people will be voting. And with you all that are listening right now, I am talking to you. If you can hear me, listen close in order for us to win that award. Uh, we've been nominated, but in order for us to win, you have to register your email to vote. Doesn't mean you're going to, you have to vote, but you have to be registered in case they, um, they decide to send you a ballot for you to, to vote. And you do, to do it, you go to podcastawards.com. That's plural podcastawards.com. And you go to the screen. There's a little blue button. It says nominate and vote. We've already been nominated. So all you have to do is vote. Uh, at one point, it just says, who's your favorite podcast person? Um, I, I'm going to ask you to put my name in there, <laughs> Rich Valdez. And then you're going to continue uh, to scroll down, and it's going to ask you what category. We've been nominated for our coverage of government and organizations, and that's what you're going to pick, government and organizations. That category, there is a drop-down list. You go to Rich Valdez, America at Night, select that one. You hit Submit, and you're now registered to vote. So when the voting period is open, which I believe it started yesterday, uh, they will send you an email at your verified email that's now registered to vote, and you'll be able to, to cast your vote for this program should you decide to support us. So thanks for listening to my spiel on that, and we're going to continue our conversation. By the way, if you want to hear the full Larry Elder interview, just go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com. And on com, you'll be able to listen to today's show in just about, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, maybe a, an hour. You'll be able to listen to the whole show. You could download the show. You could listen to it on podcasts. You could subscribe to it. It's available for you to consume and share. So I encourage you to do that on the website for this program, com, And, of course, the podcast awards is podcastawards.com. Now, we will continue with your comments and our conversation across America. Let's go over to Pennsylvania uh, to KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Daniel in Washington, Pennsylvania. Go right ahead, sir. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Rich, uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you again. It's been a short while, but I just wanted to chime in uh, Likewise. on Larry Elders. Uh, yeah. I think there Just was turn your radio something. down so we don't get any feedback. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I had it down. Yeah, no, you got it. I just want the country to be able to hear what you have to say. Okay. Go right I, ahead. I would also, I just wanted to chime in. And uh, I remember when Larry Elder started, and uh, he was, you know, after you heard him the first time, you couldn't stop listening, you know, very much as you have done. Uh, and uh, it's just. You. You know, he he had produced, he didn't mention this, but he had produced two movies 
he starred in. One was UncleTom.com, and the other one, I can't think of it, but it was... Yeah, it's Salem, called Uncle uh, Tom Part 2. Was it? <laughs> well, yeah. there you go. It it's a follow-up, a sequel life, to it. And, and he starred in both of them, and uh, uh, so... It's uh, if you want to actually know more about the intensity of, you know, what he tried to come across, which he did very well about his life. If he does, you know, if he does not make a uh, vice president, he could make a very strong cabinet position and maybe clean up the Department of Education. I it's not a it's a it's a challenge, but I think he's up to it. Whatever, you know, however it works out, we need people like that. So uh, that's all mm -hmm. I have to say, and I appreciate the show tonight. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, Daniel, in Washington, Pennsylvania on KDKA. Thank you so much for the call. We're going to continue with your, the rest of your call straight ahead, but I just wanted to uh, circle back to um, this uh, story that I mentioned before. I think I teased this story, and I didn't really get to to um, to close the loop on it. And let me just make sure I've got it right here. Uh, this is it. So the, the federal government is calling for increased production of ADHD drugs. Um, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I'm, I'm Again, everybody wants to blame Putin, the supply chain, and COVID for a lack of ADHD drugs. But that doesn't explain all the drugs, right? I mean, why don't we have a shortage on every drug? And there are some. But the point is, we don't need the federal government to say we need to ramp up production. We need the federal government to say we need to produce them in the United States, right? This is the key here, but this is where they, they go wrong. So while the demand for prescription stimulants is surging, a shortage of the drugs continues. And uh, the feds have stepped up and said, listen, the drug companies need to ramp up production of these medications. Now, again, I don't think that they, don't, they necessarily respond to our government, but uh, officials from the U.S. FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and from the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, were the ones that made the request. So just because you're not in charge of everything doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to these guys because they can make your lives um, very difficult. So kick it into gear and get that production. I have a friend who has ADHD like me. I don't take any medication. I use the radio as my therapy and you all. But... Um, I know some people that are, you know, they're, they, in order for them to have a, a normal job, a nine to five in a cubicle, that type of thing, where it's very difficult for somebody with ADHD to do that, to literally just sit there and, and focus that long, um, they use this stuff and it works. It works wonders. So I want to get to your calls momentarily and I want to find out, in addition to your own comments, you know, what you think about this Adderall shortage or Ritalin shortage. Uh, have you experienced it yourself? And, uh, I'd love the uh, the play-by-play -play from the audience on this one. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. in the 
Live Late Night Radio, six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, and we continue. Uh, so, yeah, there's this uh, shortage, and we're going to get to your calls right now, I promise. Uh, just stick with me on this. Um, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Um, the federal agencies are now calling on drug companies to increase the production of ADHD medications. And, uh, yeah, listen, I think this is uh, important. I know with like anything else, right? They're like, hey, you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, take a statin drug, and then it ruins something else. You know, then you need uh, some other pill to help something else. Everything, there's a cause and effect with everything. I get that. And that's why a lot of people are anti-pill, and I get that too. And in many ways, that's me. I'm, I'd rather not on a lot of things. But I do realize that this helps people. I've tried it. wasn't for me. Uh, but I, I've seen the difference. I tried a non-stimulant ADHD medicine once. Worked like a charm. Uh, but I just had to keep taking more of it. And I was like, man, it's like a lot. I felt like I was taking a lot of the of those pills. And uh, just so that I wouldn't shake my leg and be distracted. And I was able to focus in very long meetings. And um, I just realized maybe I just need a job where I don't have stressful, very long meetings. <laughs> and <laughs> that's that. Um Thankfully, things went in my favor, but I get it. It doesn't for everybody, and everybody's got to eat, and everybody's got to pay bills. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious to know your thoughts on this. Um, what is going on with the ADHD pill shortage? Let's go to uh, Robert, Charleston, South Carolina, on WTMA. Go right ahead, Robert. Yes, okay. With regard to Ritalin, I remember when that first came out, my mom was mm-hmm. a clinical psychologist at the time, and my stepfather was a regular physician who was trained actually in Graz, Austria. And uh, my father, my stepfather, he, he wanted me to, to take the Ritalin, but my mom, she knew that of the, of the side effects because she was also a homeopathic physician. And she uh, uh, basically, you know, tended to, you know, tried to push in the other, did, did push in the other direction. But my mom said to me later on, <laughs> that I think he wanted you to take that because he thought it would make you quieter because I talked a lot and he figured it would quiet me down and he was thinking about his own interests. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, but Robert, that that is exactly what it does, right? Uh, and, and just imagine if I wasn't talking, right? Imagine if I was more contemplative, if I was just like, let me calm down and not talk a ton and just sit here and listen to everybody. What kind of show would we have here? I wouldn't even get this job. They'd be like, listen, guy, you don't talk enough. You have to be able to talk to be a talk show host. And and I get what you're saying, and he's probably right. You probably would have been more quiet. You would have been more focused. You probably would have ran around a lot less, and that might have made him happy, but it actually might have been good for you uh, it, it, as well. Like, I realized that it was good for me to be able to sit through meetings, but ultimately, I just, you know, truth be told, you, me, and the 5 million people listening, I didn't like not shaking my leg and having 87 thoughts going on in my head at the same exact time. Uh, I I felt that that was very um, way too calm for me. So I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to stick with what I've got. So um, that's my take on that, Robert. Um, Yeah. Now tell me about um, the uh, the other comment that you had. Yeah. um, Well, a long time ago when I came Actually, eight, about 18 years ago, I moved here from from Germany to a, from a research and development environment to yeah. a retail sales environment. In other words, Dresden, Germany to Charleston, South Carolina. 
And uh, so I, I, you know, I couldn't really connect with a high-paid, high-powered job here, you know, to make lots of money. So I, 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 I was spending my savings, and it, and it was costing me a lot because I was, you know, I had a pretty expensive lifestyle. I maintained both properties in the United States and also the Federal Republic of Germany, and all well, everything that goes with all of that. And 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 anyhow, I started running out of money, so I, I called up. So did you guys get the, into prostitution? No, no. Actually, I, I called. Actually, I had accounts with two of the two of the world's largest banks. One of them is a New York-based bank. The other one was a San Francisco-based bank. So I called the New York-based bank where my father did business. My grandfather and my two brothers, apparently. So anyhow, I, call, I called up. I knew my my father's family was doing business, but at least my grandfather's. So I called them up and I said, you know, I need none of them with the last program. name Biden, right? No, no, no. God, thank okay. God, no. Double checking. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, anyhow, he so he he said to me. Uh, first, he checked to me. He he wanted to make sure who I was. So I said, you, you, he, So he said to me, your grandfather's Rudolph, father Hans, brothers Mike and Jack, right? So I said yes. So he said, uh, well, well, he said to me, well, how much would you like? I said, wait a minute. It's not a problem that I that I that I that I have. I, I'm not earning the money. I can't pay it back. I I, I need the easy payment plan so I can maybe pay over time. Oh, he, he said, but he was willing to open the open the safe and and give me whatever I wanted. Can you imagine that? Yeah, you know what? I think that's the importance of familial relationships. It's kind of what our third guest talked about today. She said that you know a lot of this stuff is gate kept. Like if it's not generationally passed on, like you're, my dad banked here and so and so banked here, and and I thought about that recently. My bank sends me a lot of offers. And I always think that's like, you know, they're like, they look in your bank account and they see how much money you have or don't have. And then they go, all right, let's offer him this, you know, which makes sense. Right. But uh, I only bank with the small bank that I bank with because my dad banked there for a few decades and it just made sense. And they've always treated me well. And, you know, they, 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 the service is really good. Uh, but I think if I was just some schmuck off the street that would come in and say, hey, I want to do this. I don't know that they would treat me as well when I needed any anything, you know, just questions or whatever. Uh, and not that they don't do a good job, but I just think it pays to, to have a, a decades long relationship with a banker where they can go, you know what? I know this guy, you may not qualify for this rate, but you know what? We're going to override that. We're going to give you the best rate we got that type of thing. And I think that that stuff is worth its weight in gold. That's how you get rich. Yeah. Well, what surprises me is the trust they had. I mean, can, can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, they, I guess they knew how much money your dad and your grandfather had in the bank. <laughs> and once they know, they're like, you know what? I trust this guy. <laughs> These guys have been around for a long time. And that's what I mean. It, it pays to have those relationships. I hate to cut you off, Robert, but uh, our producer, he loves to butt in when we're having a good conversation and get in my ear and say, break soon. So we're going to break right now, and uh, I'm coming right back. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Fiscal responsibility is a priority for President Biden and me. Earlier this year, the president signed debt limit legislation that included over a trillion dollars in deficit reduction. His budget would also improve the fiscal outlook 
by reducing the deficit by $2.6 trillion over the next 10 years. All right, that's Janet Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, um, with more babosadas from her boss, Joel Baboso Biden. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's go to Bill, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on KDKA. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Doing great, brother. Hey, What's up? An, hey, man, this isn't a riddle. This is just a question for you. I'm going to make you think a little bit. But Janet Yellen, she totally reminds me of a character from a TV show from the, I'll even say the middle 60s. Mm. Uh, can, you, can you think of where I'm at? Uh, and I don't know too many TV shows from the from the sixties, um, but uh, I, I was originally thinking like Shrek, but um, I'm stumped. What do you got? Yeah. I got uh, Bewitch. Remember Bewitch? She was a witch. Oh yeah, Bewitch. Sure. No, with Tabitha. But you know, Janet Yellen is. She's Who? Clara. Do you remember Aunt Clara? Oh, yeah, yeah she had an aunt. I remember, you, you know what? You, you're hitting the nail on the head there. That does look like a, like her a little bit. That's so funny. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. That's crazy. The things that people come up with, and it really makes sense. Uh, let's go to Dave in Taylorville, Illinois, WTIM for the win. Morning, Rich. Well, it's not quite morning here yet. I can understand why Trump was upset with the election in Illinois, two minutes after the polls closed at 7 o'clock, our Democratic governor from Chicago, not Springfield, where the election commission is, announced that Biden had won the state. It took till the next afternoon for us to find out whether our representative had won his election, and he won by 14,000 votes. And 100 of the 102 counties in Illinois went for Trump, and yet we went for Biden. Huh. Well, you know what? We seen we saw that in a lot of places. I can't imagine uh, Trump was going to carry Chicago. I don't think any Republican would carry Chicago. Uh, but I understand what you're saying outside of Chicago and Illinois. This is why I think it's so important. Like Reagan said, we have to be informed patriots. Make sure we know what we're talking about and do what we've got to do come election time. Thank you, brother. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing. Until then, keep it locked on this station. Excellent programming. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.